We gotta record that's that our intro music. Yeah, we gotta record that whole thing over again. It was rough. Hello and welcome to the sixth season, holy cow, Teach number six of the Admissions Directors Lunchcast. I'm your host, Nathan Ament, Vice President of Enrollment at Knox College, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Teach Matil, Independent Educational Consultant and Director of Enrollment Success at Enroll ML. Tiggy, how are you on this fine sixth season premiere day? Oh my gosh, Nathan, I could not imagine how things could be better. Well, I'm going to up the ante here because this sixth season has a bit of a different theme. Combined with a new service that we're making available to our listeners, why don't you explain a bit about what we've been up to over the summer here? Of course, this season, much like Christina Aguilera in her Back to Basics album, we're bringing the content all the way back to the foundational elements of admissions, search, Travel season, financial aid, yield, all of it. Piggy, I couldn't have said it better if I had scripted it myself, but I believe you actually scripted it, so good job. We have two goals this season. First, as with every episode, we want to provide our listeners, admissions directors, with timely, useful content that they can take in during their lunch break and leave with strategies that they can implement that afternoon. Second, and new this season, we are passing along to admissions counselors a part of ongoing training and development. During all of our conversations this season, we'll be directing the conversations to be focused on what admissions leaders or admissions directors need their counselors to be thinking about. And each of the eight topics align with the eight modules for LunchCast Lessons, a two-day training workshop that we have developed to bring direct to college campuses. Anyone listening who's interested can find us at NACAC or reach out to us at 80lunchcast at gmail.com and we will get a conversation started. All right. And with that, I think the call to action is over. So now we move on to the episode and I think it's time we get started. Teej, since you are now an influence yourself, wow, adding the title of Independent Educational Consultant, why don't you tell us who will be up first for this week? Absolutely. This week, as our influencer guest, we have Chuck Erickson, independent educational consultant with College Connectors based in Appleton, Wisconsin. And as a fully themed Lawrence University episode, our practitioner guest is Mary Beth Petrie, vice president for enrollment management at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, but formerly of Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. So, Tiggy, as always... I think it's time we get started, and I'm really excited. Nathan, I think we should take a minute to talk a bit more about LunchCast lessons and how this topic fits in. I think that's a good idea. So I'm actually really excited about this initiative because it fits so well with why we started the podcast in the first place. Remember... If you can go all the way back to 2021, the pandemic was upon us and the opportunities for professional development were very limited. 
But since then, the great resignation has washed all over us in many different ways, and the turnover rates at campuses are everywhere. It's just beyond anything that we've ever seen. Yeah, I agree completely. And when you and I came up with this idea in Ohio, we really zeroed in on the fact that many admissions counselors were starting almost at any random day throughout the year. They weren't starting in July and August like they used to. The historic onboarding cycle seems to be a thing of the past. I mean, those are the good old days, but they're no longer here. I, You know what? I remember them well. For me, there were three of us traveling in a pack, learning from the experts on different topics. But here we are. It's 2023, going very quickly into 2024. And so in the LunchCast lessons, we're zeroing in on eight topics. This podcast can work as a standalone episode for an admissions leader to consider these conversations that we might have missed, or hopefully we can link them, or you as a listener can link them along the way to an admissions counselor and how they can listen on their own. And of course, we're available to come to a college campus near you with a customized program to meet the needs of your team and provide some perspective and development on each of these eight topics. So, you know, this wasn't even our idea. We were approached by a vice president for enrollment who identified this topic as an area that's lacking in admissions today. So all of you who think you're just listening to a sales pitch right now, this was actually <laughs> brought up to us. Um, but if it sounds interesting, let us know and we'll be happy to work with you on developing a proposal. But low key, we're not trying to push this. We're just trying to help out. Nathan, you are not going to believe who we managed to get as our first guest for season six of the LunchCast. In a true break glass in case of emergency moment, we have Chuck Erickson, your friend and mine, independent educational consultant with College Connectors based in Appleton, Wisconsin, and the person who almost drove me into a tanker truck on my first road trip for Lawrence. Chuck, welcome to the LunchCast. Each, it is absolutely great to be here. It is an honor to be able to chat with you and Nathan, two of my longtime esteemed colleagues from the world of admissions. Yes, I and I am not forgetting that near miss on that road trip on Highway 10. <laughs> it, 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 true, it, it may or may not have happened. Uh, thankfully, there were no dash cams at that point in time. Chuck, for the benefit of folks who haven't gotten to know you yet, can you talk a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in your current role? Absolutely. So uh, I started off the whole world in uh, in admissions. So after graduating college, I started working in the Office of Admissions at Lawrence University, worked there for a couple of years, went off to graduate school, uh, and then worked at a couple other institutions before returning to Lawrence, where I worked for a total of 11 years. And then eight years ago, I transitioned to becoming an independent educational consultant, helping students and families navigate the college search and application process. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. Today, we're talking about student search. And this the, the kind of vibe for this season is going back to basics and, and discussing kind of what admissions directors should be thinking about 
when training and guiding newer admissions counselors at various stages of the funnel. And today, we're on student search. And so we've all worked with students who are going about their lives as high school juniors, and then all of a sudden, bam, their email address gets released by one of the search companies, and they get inundated with emails. From your experience now on your side of the desk as an independent educational consultant and your other experiences, can you help us better understand how that, how that moment feels to students? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was just having this conversation uh, about the whole email search and how do colleges find students with one of my students last night. And she mentioned to me that while she was sitting in class, uh, her phone kept vibrating and she noticed that it was emails from colleges and to the point where she counted that she was getting five emails per hour from various colleges. So by the end of the day, she had received over 50 different college emails and she was very overwhelmed. And she was talking to me, it's like, how can I control this? How can I take uh, take hold of this and figure out which ones I wanna go to? So we really talked about that. So it can be extremely overwhelming for students because they're not only trying to manage their school email and get the messages from their teachers and their principals and other entities within their school, but then they're also getting all of these emails from colleges and they don't know, should they be opening them? Should they be responding? You know, what should they be doing? So it can be extremely overwhelming to a high school junior or senior. Well, and I saw that too with what Noah was getting, right? Since he's a rising senior this year, um, he was getting a lot of those also around August 1st with just this crazy sense of urgency that you had to apply on August 1st or right after. And at some point he just kind of saw it as white noise, which I'm sure that's what happened with your, with your student, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of my students, a different student was so overwhelmed that she just stopped answering her email to the point where I tried to email her and Google said, sorry, the mailbox is completely full. The student is wow. unable to receive any messages. And I had to have a conversation with her and she was literally anxious and afraid of activating her email again, because those college emails were just kept coming. Well, yeah. And that's a great point. I didn't even think about that because we have a separate account set up for Noah's college search, right? So then that just kind of, he just kind of looks at that when he needs to, but if they're actually using their email for school information or working with you or whatever else, that can be, that can definitely be a problem. So let me talk a little bit about what I'm seeing from my side as an enrollment leader. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we always feel the pressure, um, albeit from whoever it is, whether it's a board or a president or whoever, to be the first one in the mailbox so you don't get lost in that shuffle um, because we do see the boost in response rates, I'm not going to lie. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. How do you, from your side of the desk and you working with students, how do you, how do you feel that students react differently to messages one, two, three, compared to messages 21, 22, and, you know, like you said, 50 <laughs> with that one student? Partially, I don't think being the first college really impacts as many of my students as what maybe college admissions thinks about they're, they're looking for, do I recognize the name of a college? Have I heard about this place? Have I visited? Uh, so even if you're the first one in, it doesn't mean that they're going to open it. They're just going to be kind of surprised that you're the first one in the inbox. So they're really trying to scan and see messages that catch their eye or headlines that catch their eye, something that makes them go, oh, I should open this and check it out. Uh, so I think... I don't know if it's going to be really that big of a deal as if you're the very first one or the last one. 
and let's be real, it's going to be different for different types of students. Some of my guys uh, aren't even thinking about college yet. And uh, I have high school senior boys that are not even in that process. So so your son is way ahead of the game uh, doing that. And so maybe being later might actually benefit because the boys might go, oh, yeah, college. I should probably think about that sometime before November 1st, where a lot of my my young ladies are well, well ahead of the game and already planned where they're applying and what they're going to be doing. Doc, this has me thinking, uh, reflecting on, um, I once attended a Czech conference, so we're going back a ways, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it was Czech, it was, it was uh, in Silicon Valley, and they had a panel of students uh, who were local, so, you know, from Silicon Valley, who were asked how a college that they had never heard of could make an introduction, right? Because the students in this panel were saying, don't email me, don't call me, don't text me, don't send me mail, don't do anything. Don't just don't, 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 don't. And so the college, one of the attendees said, how should we make an introduction to a college you haven't heard of? And the response from the three students, I will not forget, was unanimous. Don't, we'll find you if we want to. But of course, colleges, we can't take that. And second, we know it's not true. We know that matches are made through the search process, right? So from your perspective, if our listeners, actually for our listeners that work at a college with little to no name recognition, what's the best way to get started with students amidst all this noise, these five emails an hour, et cetera? So I've thought about this a little bit, and I kind of agree with the students that the email doesn't really work. For example, most of my students don't know how to truly utilize email. It is not part of their normal vocabulary. They've been told that they have to do it based from their teachers and their parents. But for many of my students, email seems old school. So I've asked my students, where do you learn about colleges? And most of them respond uh, that they learn about colleges from their friends. Okay, so now you have to get the friends to start talking about a college. Well, how do they find out about it? A lot of them, it's from social media. Uh, I read an article recently that students are getting the majority of their information via YouTube. And so I asked my students, are you using YouTube to try and find colleges? And they said, yep, absolutely. When I learn about a college, if I want to dive in deeper, I start looking up their YouTube channel or exploring what they're doing on Instagram uh, and do a little bit of in Instagram stalking about the college. Uh, some students may look on TikTok, very few. TikTok seems to be still the world that students are expressing themselves to other students and they don't really want to see a whole lot of college stuff on there. Uh, but it was surprising how many students said that they use YouTube to explore and learn about new things that they have heard of and they want to learn more about. So I'm wondering, you know, could you have colleges do short advertisements on YouTube and use the SEO uh, to be able to figure out who can see those and be able to connect with students that way? I still think mailers do work. I've had students literally show me mailers that they like. It's typically something that is different, unique, colorful. Unfortunately, a lot of mailers look similar because many colleges are utilizing the same marketing firms and students mm -hmm. notice that. They can tell when mailers are similar from college to college. So something unique, something different, that could be another way for colleges to get in front of students. Chuck, if, if I can press on your answer a little bit, and I want to zero in, you said students are saying they don't use email or that they, they, they will go to YouTube or Instagram to learn about colleges. But 
in your answer, you said once they learn about a college, then they turn to YouTube to look to like dig in and learn more. Do you have a sense of like, what is it that's getting them aware of a college to be to begin with? Like think of, you know, we're here in Wisconsin, like you can think of some of the very um some of the colleges without a lot of brand recognition that are still doing some national recruitment. How do you how do you think that's happening? It's again, I think through watching their friends' social media and social media is so fascinating because you can be scrolling and it shows you what looks like is something you signed up for, but it's actually an ad. And I think students are catching some of those and they're going, oh, what's that? And then they start exploring that way. Or again, their friends are checking out something. You know, I have many students that will come to me and say, I want to look at XYZ college. And I'll say, why? And they'll say, because my friend found it, liked it, went to visit and told me that I should check it out. Even though it might not be the right fit, their students are getting influenced by other students about that way. So you've got to find a way to get the students to catch on. Uh, so that's why I'm saying, whether it be YouTube or Instagram, but I'm colleges need to have themselves out there in a multitude of ways. Email is just not eye-catching enough because it's just literally black and white on a screen. And students almost are fearful of opening an email from something that they are not familiar with. An admissions counselor, a territory manager, is there anything they can be doing to help improve the results of a search campaign? Keep it simple. Uh, students aren't going to read a bunch of text message or aren't going to read a bunch of text on an email. They aren't going to read long blog posts or thinking, keep it short, sweet, to the point. Uh, they want short messages that they can watch really quickly or that they can read really quickly and move on to the next thing. Uh, some of the inquiry forms that I've seen on colleges are way too long. Students mm -hmm. are not going to fill out that entire inquiry form. They are going to get bored and they are going to not finish the form because you're asking 50 million questions on your inquiry form. Keep things short, sweet, and connect with them and ask them how they want to connect. Do you want to get an email? Do you want to get a text? Have the students be able to opt in for some of these things if you can. Chuck, I've had some, I was going to say, I've had some success with little short surveys, even like just little pulse surveys um, in like an inquiry campaign, mm -hmm. especially as it, you know, let's talk like maybe it's a rising senior or even a rising junior and you're kind of getting them engaged about what they possibly want to major in or what they're thinking about or what they feel they might like and that will help them like kind of frame it as far as like where they want to go as far as a major and what it will continue. And again, on the back end, it's all programmed to kind of lead them down a path one way or the other. Um, right. But we had pretty good response rates with those. Yeah, I think that's great. A, a lot of students are fearful because they don't know their major. And some students are actually frozen in the mm -hmm. process because they don't feel they can move forward until they know exactly what they want to major in. Uh, this is the generation that went through the Great Recession. They've seen a lot of job change in the world and they're worried about do if I don't know what I want to major in, why should I be looking at college? So they're getting stuck focusing on the major rather than focusing on why do I need to go to college, which is independent growth, learning, and an exploration of the world around them. Well, Chuck, this is fantastic. And if you can believe it, we are all the way at the end already. We appreciate, again, your willingness to jump in at the last minute for us. Thank you. Um, but also, we appreciate your time and your insights on this one. As we wrap up, we always just like to ask the same two final questions of our guests. Uh, what are you working on next and how can folks get in touch with you if they want to continue the conversation? Well, I was going to say what I'm working on right now is I am so 
intrigued and impressed by the work that both of you have done in the podcast world that I am going to be joining the podcast world and launching my own podcast to help students navigate the college search and the application process one episode at a time. So that's what I'm working on. If people want to reach out to me, they can contact me at Chuck at collegeconnectors.com or find us at collegeconnectors.com. I am one of the 15 counselors as part of our our company. Um, and let's connect and let's see how I can help you out. Not to bury the lead. Is, you, is there a podcast link you want us to drop or otherwise direct people to, or is it still information? Not yet, still in the works, but okay. I will definitely go back and let you know when it's ready to go. Okay. Happy to promote it. Happy to promote it, Chuck. Thank you. All right. Well, Nathan, let's take a break from our two guests on this week's episode focused on student search and inquiry generation. Uh, we are fortunate to be joined by two of our friends at MediaCross to talk a little bit about their services that they offer colleges and universities. Drew, Josh, welcome to the LunchCast. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, and Josh, it's welcome back for you. You are a returning champion. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. We had a blast last time. Yeah. Well, for folks who uh, don't know you guys yet, if you can just introduce yourselves a little bit and give us a little ground about Media Cross. All right. Well, I'm Josh Bastromowitz. Um, I am an enrollment marketing consultant with Media Cross. I've been here for about three years. Um, and prior to that, I was actually on the college side as a director of admissions for a small private uh, college in Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, even before that, uh, was at a uh, medium-sized public institution as the executive director of recruitment. Excellent. And my name is Drew Griffin. I'm an enrollment and marketing consultant with Media Cross as well. Coming up on one year at Media Cross. Prior to that, I was at, I've been all my life in Missouri uh, at higher ed institutions, public institutions. Um, worked my way up from a, a transfer rep and a, and a road warrior all the way to an assistant vice provost for admissions and financial aid. Um, and so had a great uh, opportunity, great career. Um, really to serve um, students in the state of Missouri and help with families in terms of financing their education and all that. Happy to bring my my knowledge and background to Media Cross to help institutions as they try to grow enrollment as well. In Media Cross, uh, full service marketing agency uh, where we really fit in and talk with colleges and universities um, and really try to identify some of the challenges they're facing both in enrollment and also uh, just marketing in general um, and really just kind of take a very custom approach to uh, looking at those challenges and how ultimately we can um, support colleges and universities um, at the end of the day to recruit and of course educate students. I'm going to ask you to unpack that a little bit more, uh, Josh, <laughs> and just tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, maybe at each stage a little bit, tell us about how Media Cross helps colleges. Sure, sure. And uh, Drew, feel free to kind of pipe in here too. Um, but really, um, I mean, it starts off with a conversation, either sometimes that's with marketing, sometimes that's with education. Um, obviously, enrollment, I think, is probably one of the biggest challenges that most of us are facing. Um, and so we really, we we try to unpack that with um, our prospective clients. Um, so it may be challenges in terms of um, inquiry generation, right? We're all saying we need more inquiries now that the cliff is unfortunately coming. 
Um, it could be generating applications. It could be a challenge in terms of yield and how to support students um, kind of go through that enrollment journey. Um, and of course, MELT is also a, a massive challenge for a lot of our partner schools. So how do we keep students engaged throughout the process so that they're going to move in? So it can be anything from digital marketing. Um, so we do consultations in terms of campus visit experience, um, print pieces. We have a personalized custom video uh, called VizVid. That's a new portion of um, what we do uh, to support students or to support colleges really to uh, really just personalize that that process for them. Um, so there's a there's a wide variety. Ugh, there's a wide variety. Let me try that again um, of things that we can provide, but we, we are not a cookie cutter uh, agency. It is a custom approach for each and every one of our clients. Absolutely. And Josh, uh, you already hit on that, but as a full service marketing and recruitment agency, I, I feel like we do all the things, right? But really the thing that, that we do best is really storytelling. We want to capture an institution's story and help them tell that story um, in a compelling and in, in an engaging way in order to capture student interest and move them to act through whatever part of the funnel in terms of especially inquiry generation, really want to move them to that next step um, of applying. And as Josh said, we're not cookie cutter. It's not a one size fits all situation. Um, we really do provide creative concepts that are authentic and relevant and distinctive. And our strategies, we approach with each institution, they're unique to the challenges that the schools are facing. Um, so we know that what works for one institution is not going to work for another necessarily. So we really want to be cognizant of that and how we can um, apply our solutions to fit that specific need for that institution. Josh, Drew, obviously much of uh, our listeners that might think we can do some of this internally. And of course we could, but when colleges try to do some of these things on their own with just their own internal resources, what are things they tend to miss that you guys catch? I think that's a great point. Um, and Drew and I actually were just talking about this uh, not too long ago. Um, you know, when I was on a campus, um, you know, there's great opportunities to connect with other institutions, with other professionals um, across the board in terms of uh, other admissions offices and marketing teams and things of that nature. Um, but you know, I often felt like I was on an island on my own, right? Um, you know, making decisions and putting together strategies and so forth. Um, you you feel very much in this kind of cylinder, if you will. And so um, you are boots on the ground, constantly running and uh, recruiting and working students through the admissions funnel. Um, and it's very easy to get um, single-sided, and to miss that overall big picture. Um, one of the challenges that I really faced on a campus was, um, you know, constantly hearing, we need to base this out of strategy. We need to base this out of strategy. What's the strategy? Um, the problem was I didn't have time for strategy. Um, I didn't have the resources that were available to say, you know, what is nationally going on? Not just necessarily from like a, an overarching, you know, cliff is coming situation, but are, what are trends that are happening in my state that are happening within the areas that we recruit? Um, and so I, I just didn't have the time to be able to dedicate the necessary resources to ensure that the decisions that I was making were the right decisions and that were going to be most impactful. Um, and something that um, kind of going back to the podcast I was on, when I crossed the aisle, right, when I went to the dark side, um, I was really surprised that, you know, we really have the ability and the team to be able to dedicate time to that specific research and strategy to really support their efforts, right? Um, they can worry about, you know, 
application numbers and they can they can move students through the funnel in that situation but we can offer guidance to where we can either say you know it maybe the strategies that you're currently working with maybe they're not all fitting together and that was a piece that i found a lot of institutions are missing is that marketing and missions really should go hand in hand and so where you know we are working through, you know, digital, right? We're doing digital and we're doing social ads, but how does that fit overall into the full recruitment cycle? How is that complemented by your email communications and the phone calls that counselors are making and so forth? That underlining really breadth of how does all these pieces fit together and what are we missing? What is low-hanging fruit that we can capture right now, but we're just too close to the problem? Absolutely. Yes. And honestly, I think sometimes schools or staff at schools could be maybe comfortable or complacent in their strategies. And so maybe they're they're on autopilot and like it's been working for us for 20 years. And so we're just going to set it and forget it. And maybe they're not uh, aware of the new technologies or new strategies or uh, what else is out there that um, they need to be changing and updating. Because as Josh might have mentioned, the enrollment cliff is coming. And um, if you're not on social, if you're not doing specific digital outreaches, you're behind. And so um, it's important for um, institutions to really kind of uh, definitely look and see what else is out there and, and use uh, an agency like Media Cross to help with that consulting or um, with that strategy piece of it, I think is really, uh, it's really key. Well, I think that's a great way to end it right there. So if anybody wants to get in touch and you feel like you're in that position where you just need to get caught up on the new strategies and um, maybe want to have a conversation uh, with one or both of you, uh, Drew, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? And also, I assume um, you guys are going to be at NACAC. You know, one would assume that actually, Nathan, but we're not, not going to be okay. in NACAC. Um, no worries. And I love NACAC. And I, I, in fact, back in the day, I was Mr. NACAC. I mean, I was shaking hands and kissing babies at every conference. But um, <laughs> with with the solutions and the services that we provide, um, there are other conferences that we're needed at. And so um, you will find uh, Josh and myself at the Acro Sim Conference in Seattle later this uh, year, as well as the AMA Higher Ed Conference in Chicago, and that's for American Marketing Association uh, for Higher Ed Marketers. And so we'll be at, in Seattle and Chicago in November. Um, and if you just want to meet with me individually, my email address is drewg at mediacross.com, um, and we can set up an appointment. And then Josh? Yeah, you can find me at Josh B as in boy at mediacross.com. Um, of course, you can also find us on LinkedIn um, with like a, a last name like Bistromowitz. It's not hard to find me. All right. That sounds good. Well, I encourage everybody to get in touch with you both. And um, if you're going to either of those conferences this fall, um, seek them out. So thanks to you both. Thanks Thank so much. You. Thank you. Well, Teej, I am really excited for the next guest on this episode that's featuring student search. I don't think I need to introduce her to you specifically, uh, given your background, but definitely to our listeners. Mary Beth Petrie is the Vice President for Enrollment Management at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. Beth, welcome to the LunchCast. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. And we're really glad to have you, and I'm really interested to hear your perspective on student search. But before we get into that, can you give us just a little bit of your background and how you arrived at your current position at DePaul? Uh, sure. 
Uh, so I've been at DePauw as the vice president for enrollment for two years now. I'm starting my third year, so I'm told I can't say new anymore, but I'm hanging on to newer as, a, as an adjective for a little while. Um, I worked at Lawrence University previously for nine years as the dean of admission and the director of admission before that. Uh, that is uh, for the listeners where I originally met both Teach and Nathan. Uh, and uh, before that, I was uh, back here in Indiana. I was at Butler University uh, where I spent eight years doing a variety of different things in admission, including international admission, uh, multicultural recruitment. Uh, I oversaw our visit and events team, um, so lots of fun experiences there and owe a lot to my friends there at Butler for um, helping me to uh, fall in love with this profession. Well, and speaking of falling in love with the, with the profession, yes, we all have Lawrence, con the connection here. And even previous on this episode, you know, we had Chuck Erickson and that was, so it's a real Lawrence themed um, episode for us, but <laughs> Um, we appreciate you both coming on. And um, I think as we've all gone on in our various roles here from Lawrence University, it's given us such great perspectives. And, you know, in your chair um, in the VP position, um, similar to what I've done in my career as well, um, you and I are probably really tuned into how everything is changing with search, right? Um, we recently on the LunchCast had the folks from College Vine to discuss the search cliff. Um, but can you help us think from your perspective about what's changing and, you know, basically compared to what's staying the same? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I am highly involved with the search um, part of our work in enrollment. And, um, you know, I, I liked I listened to the episode um, that you all did with with College Vine, and I was really interested in some of the data that Vinay shared Um and I've learned a lot uh, over the past few months, and ultimately, I've decided I think I'm, you know, concerned and need to address some of these issues, but not panicky, uh, not overly um, worried. Uh, part of that's because, you know, there are there are some things that are staying the same. Uh, students are going to end up in search pools if they register for AP exams. And there's more and more students registering for AP exams um, all the time. They'll, they'll stay in the search pools if they're taking um, weekend tests. Um, and you know, in, in part, I'm interested in how this disruption, I think it's another disruption, how this disruption is going to uh, require all of us in the profession to innovate, to change, to perhaps get better um, at what we're doing to reach students where they are. And, you know, students um, in the search pools as they are right now, they get so many emails. Uh, they get so, they get served and overserved and and for me um you know i have some concerns that the students that are remaining in the search pools are going to be yet even more overserved because we'll have more colleges um going after and 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 uh, licensing um 
student per personal student information uh, for uh, more of them doing it for the same student. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of I'm interested in you know, what this means for the individual student who will have more control over uh, who's getting their information, what colleges they are identifying and raising their hands for. I am a parent of a high school student, um, and I, I acknowledge, you know, I know all three of us are parents of high school students now. Sorry, Teej. I know that that is a sore spot. Um, oh, goodness, Beth. <laughs> Um, so, uh, but you know, I, we're going to be going into this process here soon and, and I want, I'm interested in my kid having some control over the process. So, so some things that are staying the same for colleges yet, I think it's going to require a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity, uh, a lot of, um, uh, trying some new things for many of us. You know, uh, thank you for the sideswipe, reminding me that that my sweet little Logan just keeps growing older and older and getting closer to moving away from me. But that aside, we in Wisconsin had a, a fairly unique perspective. If I remember correctly, ACT names in Wisconsin were purchased much more frequently than than many neighboring institutions. Does that sound yeah. right? That's right. That's right in my experience. Yeah. So... It, it makes me think, and, and so this is the question, right? Like, how do you think a student reacts to being um, on the receiving end of an outreach from the first or maybe second or even third college, as opposed to the 21st, mm -hmm. 22nd, or even 33rd college? Yeah, um, that's a really, really good question. Uh, one that I'm always keeping my eye on, I, I actually have, you know, anecdotally observed teenagers in my acquaintance, you know, nieces and nephews, um, uh, friends with high school students who get really excited when they get that first uh, outreach from a college, you know, somebody's paying attention to me. And and now I get to think about, you know, what my future is and, and what comes next. And they're really excited about that. Um, and they're a lot less excited about the 30th. In fact, they're, they're getting a little bit annoyed at that stage. Uh, however, I firmly believe that be, being first is not the be all end all. Uh, the data that I see um, reflects that students that, that we see that inquire, officially inquire and officially connect with us for the first time in their sophomore or junior year are more likely to yield and less likely to apply. So it's a really important group of students. I think that colleges that ignore the early contact um, may negatively impact their yield. Um, but at the same time, it's the students that inquire for the first time as a senior that are more likely to apply. So if we can uh, work on and ensure that we have really quality messages, really engaging things that interest students, things that um, that really inspire a student to make that connection with us, that is a bigger piece and much more important than being first. I really think that's an interesting perspective. I'm gonna go off book here for just a minute, Beth. Um, 
Because I, I guess the the working theory of thought I was always taught is that the, if you have students in your pipeline that are, you know, started out with you as a sophomore, started out with you as a junior, that's the gold student, right? That's going to stick with you a little bit further. But maybe what you're kind of suggesting here is that trend has changed a little bit, that the students, when they are seniors, maybe taking a fresh look, is that what you're suggesting? And they do apply at a higher rate? Yeah, or maybe, you know, I guess part of my theory is that student, there's a lot of development that happens between the sophomore right. year in high school and the senior year in high school. Yep. You know, a lot of students start off in their sophomore year thinking, you know, this is what's important to me. And then they get to their senior year and they realize actually what's important to me is something different. And so it is important to be early and we absolutely need to make sure that we are. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, the, it's, I think it's the quality and staying with them and making sure that, that the students are able to reflect to us who they are and we're reflecting back to them, how, you know, we can meet their needs and interest them. Then I think that is, um, the paramount issue. Yep. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, again, you mentioned that we're all parents of teenagers here, even though, you know, I'll sideswipe teach as well, that he doesn't want to admit it either. Um, but I'm seeing that with the emails that are coming in for our current senior, that when I filled, when we filled out those inquiry forms, um, yes, I'm the one that filled them out, of course. Um, he was interested in pre-med right at the beginning of his junior year. And now he switched to music or potentially pre-law. And so these emails that are coming in that are telling him all about the science programs and how wonderful they are at their schools. Um, he has no interest in at all. And he is like, why are they emailing me about this? And doesn't realize that like, oh yeah, that's what he was interested in a year and a half ago or even two years ago. So that, that really underscores that point. It really does. Yeah. Thanks for that. Cause I, I think, uh, that's a perfect example of, of what I've been thinking a lot about and, you know, how do we continually engage with students, not just, you know, ask them to confirm their mailing address. And then at that, mm -hmm. from that point on, you know, serve them a whole bunch of emails and, and postcards and, and things like that. But it's, it's, how do we ensure that we're growing with them, that we know who they are, more they're, they're growing. Um, and, and that, uh, I think is, is just more having that kind of strategy, having that kind of connection is, is much more important than, than being the first one out of the gate. So however long it takes to, to put that strategy together is, is really worth it. So let's shift to the admissions counselors that are on your staff and we're recording this, you know, in the end of the first week of September here and, I'm sure you got some counselors maybe out on the road or going to be heading out on the road shortly um, at the search stage. So at this, you know, big part of the funnel, um, what do you want your counselors to be focused on and thinking about at this particular juncture? Yeah, good question. You know, actually, they have all been out traveling quite a bit. Yesterday, we didn't have a single... Uh, admission officer on campus uh, because they are so busy and out meeting students at high schools and college fairs and doing regional interviews. Um, what I really want them to be focused on is building relationships 
And I realize that reflects the kind of university that I work for. Um, but all, all three universities that I've worked for have been very relationship driven. Uh, and so, so that is important. So whatever stage the student is at, um, taking, converting to that next level in the relationship, for most of the students at this stage, it's ensuring that they know that they are invited to visit campus, that they uh, have opportunities on campus. You know, shortly following that for seniors, the priority is making sure they apply. Um, but but right now, uh, you know, those two things, I think it really depends on where the student is in their own process and then determining, you know, what we need to ask them to do uh, for that next phase of the relationship. Well, and I appreciate that. And I'll add to it, um, you know, I think being timely about the responses to the emails that are coming in, if you're running search campaigns, um, certainly as you suggested with the seniors, with the applying, um, it can be really hard at this stage, especially if you're a first year counselor, or maybe even a second year counselor embarking onto your travel season or two weeks into it or whatever else. Um, to kind of try to juggle all of this, but each student, they, they expect you to get back to them and they expect that you're going to, you're going to connect with them. Um, and you're right at the type of institution that you work at, that I work at, that all three of us have experience with, um, they're expecting that personal touch. So it can be really, it can be a struggle when you've done the three, four high school visits and then a college fair that night to respond to all these emails, but um, they're all individual students and they're expecting a response. So always a good reminder. Yeah. And I, I think that is, you know, I think we talk about this a lot in, in admission uh, for those, those of us that remember the days when uh, you didn't bring a laptop with you when you traveled, uh, mm -hmm. that you, when you didn't have your email on your phone, <laughs> <laughs> in right. fact, you didn't have a phone uh, that you carried yeah. with you. <laughs> now you're really dating yourself, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> and and so um, so what that really meant was um, that we could highly focus on the in-person travel and the connections um, and and the expectations of the admission officers in this current environment is is different, and it's. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly something that I have concerns about making sure that they know how to draw some boundaries around their own time so that they um, are uh, healthy and happy and, and can put all of their energy into their work when it's time to do so. A great reminder. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. If you can believe it, we're at the end of the interview, but not before I ask you the last two questions that we ask all our guests. What are you working on next? And then how can folks get in touch with you should they want to pick the, pick up this conversation? Yeah, uh, right now I am very uh, busy with some important launches at DePauw. Uh, so we, this fall, launched a School of Business and Leadership. And we, our new dean of the school um, has started with us recently, and uh, there's several new majors and minors, and this has 
required a lot of response and work from the admission staff, from the marketing team, um, and it's it's wonderful. Um, the other one is that in the fall of 2024, we're launching the creative school. So we're reorganizing uh, the arts and performing arts programs, um, adding some new uh, uh, art related uh, programs that connect with technology and how technology really breaks down the barriers between the artistic disciplines. And this new creative school uh, should should address a lot of that. So I'm I'm really excited about where this takes us. I think that uh, you know understanding uh, what students are interested in and what is going to serve their needs. This is something that 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 institutions um, need to continually do, and yet colleges and higher education is not always known for that constant innovation and change. And so I'm really excited to be a part of that. And if folks would like to get in touch with me, they can reach out to me at DePauw. Um, my email address, I have two of them, but they, they go to the same inbox. <laughs> uh, because um, I professionally, I go by Mary Beth Petrie, um, but most people just call me Beth. Uh, and so so folks can reach me at marybethpetrie at depaw.edu or bethpetrie at depaw.edu, depending on how many letters they feel like typing out. I mean, that definitely that you got your you got your money's worth there. <laughs> if an institution giving you two email addresses. Well, uh, Mary Beth or Beth, uh, appreciate you joining the LunchCast. Um, I wish you all the best with those launches. Thank you very much. Thanks, Beth. Well, Nathan, not only were those two interesting conversations, they were fun. It was so great to connect with Chuck and Beth. I agree. I agree. It's just as an aside, it's been really interesting to see all the people that came out of that time um, when mm -hmm. we were all together, Lawrence, and how they're really influencing the profession. I think we were actually talking with Chuck about that offline um, after the interview, but, uh, you know, we... It's nice to see us all here in the profession, um, specific to student search. Um, I really think that this is an important topic. It's the top of the funnel. I'll be honest with you. I I don't think admissions counselors think about search um, mm -hmm. compared as much as they probably think about everything else, right? I think that's right. And I, I think they're missing an opportunity to have a positive impact early in their territory. And by that, I mean, of course, the search campaign that your institution runs, right? Uh, you know, a second year admissions counselor isn't probably involved in that very heavily, if at all. But if you build out a query or some sort of list where you can identify students in your territory who are responding to the search emails that are going out, you can add in some additional personal outreaches, even in a mass one, right? That 
can grow early applicants sooner than would otherwise be the case. And I, I think there's a lot of potential for admissions counselors at a very high level to imply a personal touch and make a difference. I think the general working theory, and I've experienced this myself at you know now multiple institutions, and I would say in the last five to seven to 10 years, admissions counselors are really working with an, from the applicant stage on, right? Like mm -hmm. that's really, that's about all the time they have. That's about, you know, when they have time in the schedule that they can read an application and then push that student across the finish line in May. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think you can help yourself, your future self, if you will, by somehow developing some communication or a touch point that maybe the system or the house or the office is not doing with the automated emails. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that probably that probably does then start with a query that you're doing on your own um, or even just checking in with them, maybe, you know, somehow you know, do it based on the number or excuse me, on the date when they entered the system and like work backwards, right? Like if you have somebody that has been in your system for a long time, connect with them right away or somebody that's been just came to the system, connect with them right away. There's different schools of thought there, but there's ways that you can play around with that so you can ch chunk that number down. Because I think at the end of the day, that's why counselors don't work with inquiries as much because the numbers and the volume themselves, um, it's very overwhelming. It's too much. It's intimidating. And if you're, there's a print component, it's too expensive. But right. when you narrow it down. I, I always reflect back on my experience with New Mexico. If you remember my last year at Lawrence, Lawrence was in the top 10 colleges in the country for exporting students out of New Mexico. And we were the only small liberal arts college in that list, right? And part of how we did it is after a couple of years of kind of banging my head against the wall, trying to work with students from the application stage, sometimes into the inquiry stage, and you were there, Nathan, I was aggressive. Like I was doing all of the things, but we rolled in just for New Mexico. Um, we bought more names than normal and we sent a couple letters, one that directly addressed the weather, right? In Wisconsin for, for students from New Mexico. And that was the year, actually Beth was Beth was there. She was, she was my new boss. We were at NACAC when the school counselor from New Mexico walked up to the NACAC, the counselor college fair and said to said to us, I don't know what you guys are doing, but all of my students are talking about you because we took a, a targeted, seemingly personal approach at the search stage, and it went off that year in a in a big way. All of that was just a humble brag, dear listener, about I how he killed to, it in New Mexico. New Mexico. Yeah, oh, oh it just happened to oh, he just that popped into your memory. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, I think that's a good way to end the closing banter here um, on our season six premiere. I don't hope you want to hear about the Roswell College Fair I went to as well? I don't think anybody wants to hear about the Roswell College Fair unless you're in Roswell, New Mexico. And maybe we have some listeners that are in Roswell, New Mexico. And of course, they know about it already, so they don't want to hear it. Anyway, all right. I'm going to end it. I'm going to end it. Uh, that was the Lunchcast. I'm Nathan. I'm Teach from New Mexico. <laughs> oh, I got nothing. And the, but that was the launch cast, folks.
Everybody gets my name wrong because of you. Everybody gets my name wrong. 